You're listening to the Employment Rights Online podcast, where we discuss everything employment rights and the job. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of the Employment Rights Online podcast. And in particular, welcome to the third update of your employment rights under coronavirus conditions. And let me tell you, over the last week, it's not been great for those people who are at the receiving end of their employer's interpretation of government's nationalisation of the payroll system. If you remember last week, I spoke about central government taking over the pay of millions of workers through a system of furloughing workers, which entitles workers to 80% of their pay paid for by the government. That's what I mean when I say government has nationalised the payroll. However, since last week, two key issues have arisen with this system. And what was thought to be a clear response to the economy and jobs going off a cliff edge has proved to be anything but simple. Firstly, I've received numerous questions and read a whole dearth of articles about workers raising queries about how their employers are attempting to shortchange them in the furloughing process. It is simply not acceptable for employers to attempt to try and save themselves money by trying to suggest that workers were furloughed earlier than the truthful date. Yes, this has happened to so many workers. So many workers have found themselves being asked to accept less than their full salary entitlement, with employers trying to push them into accepting 80% of their pay for periods of time before the 28th of February, which was the start date of the coronavirus job retention scheme. Before that date, you're on normal working hours with normal pay. And any work done before the 28th of February cannot qualify for furloughed status and therefore 80% pay rates. Another thing which employers are doing is attempting to pay workers at furloughed pay packets for periods of time when workers have worked full-time hours. How can that be right? The furloughing process came into being on the 28th of February and it started the very next day, which is the 1st of March. Now, if your company decides not to furlough you on the 1st of March and lets you work a week, let's say to the 8th of March and then maybe the 15th of March and then decides to furlough you, what your employer can't then do is attempt to pay you at a furloughed pay packet for periods of time when you have worked full-time hours. For the weeks you've worked full-time hours after the 1st of March, you should be paid your full and normal wage and the furlough rate of 80% of your normal wage should not start until the day your employer furloughs you. It can't be backdated and any attempt to backdate those payments 
is an attempt to defraud the government. And similarly, any attempt to pay you furloughed wages for periods of time when you should be paid your full wage is also an attempt to defraud you and the government. Since you would lose 20% of your pay and you're legally entitled to that, and the government would lose the employers on costs for national insurance and other employers' contributions because those contributions have been suspended in terms of the employer having to pay them. So obviously, if the employer should pay those payments from, let's say, the 1st of March to the 15th of March, but instead decides to furlough you, then in effect, the employer is trying to save the employer's own costs plus 20% of your wages. And that cannot be right. Your employer is responsible for paying all salaries, tax and national insurance up to the date of the decision to furlough your job. And that date cannot be before the 28th of February and cannot be extended into periods when you worked full-time hours under your normal contract of employment. So all you need to do is to think it through. If you're at home furloughed, then you're on 80% of your normal wage. If you're at work and still working, then you can't be furloughed at the same time. And if you're at work, then it's 100% of your wages. Now, in some cases, employers are understandably running out of money to pay wages and are looking for different ways that they can address this. If this is the case, the answer isn't to try to take the money out of the wages that you are owed. All employers can apply for a government grant to help with cash flow for things like paying wages. And I guess from your point of view as a worker, if you're caught up in this, is that there needs to be an understanding that there may be a delay in that money coming through to your employer and then coming through to you. But the key thing is, there is no excuse for not paying you all of the money you are entitled to. And to not pay you could be seen as an unlawful deduction from your wages, which is a breach of your employment rights. Moving on, I was asked a question about what would happen if you were made redundant after the 28th of February and whether you would still qualify for the job retention scheme and the opportunity to be furloughed and receive 80% of your wages. And the answer is that as long as you were made redundant on or after the 28th of February, your employer simply has to rehire you and then they can furlough you. And then the government will pick up the responsibility for 80% of your salary. Now, the issue of dates has come up in another set of questions raised by a different tranche of workers who have found themselves falling outside of the payroll bailout. Some workers have found themselves in between jobs and therefore falling in between payouts. There are a whole group of workers who were in between jobs on the 1st of March 2020. Many had left their old jobs sometime in February and they were taking time out, like you do, before starting new jobs. 
And what they actually found is that when they went to start their new job, there was no job there because the company had closed down and it had furloughed its workforce. And those people who were new to starting their jobs found that they were not on any company's payroll at the qualifying time of the 1st of March 2020. This effectively means that if you left your job before the 28th of February and you were not rehired on or before the 1st of March, you in effect have no work base. And having no work base will therefore mean that you're not eligible for furloughed status if the new company you go to work for then goes on to furlough your colleagues. Without being on the company's payroll at the time the government nationalised the payroll service, which would be the start of business on the 1st of March 2020, then you don't qualify to be furloughed. So now, if you're in this group of workers, you're going to find yourself without a salary and completely dependent on other forms of raising money. You can't go back to your old job because you worked your notice and your contract has ended with your previous employer. But concerningly, you can't go forward either because in some cases for some employees, the way you go forward won't be straightforward, not least because your new employers might be prepared to keep you on the books so that at least you have a job to go to once the lockdown is lifted and everything gets back to normal. But this won't solve the problem of your finances now, because what you might not realise is that your employer keeping you on the books means that you're going to be retained as an employee, and therefore you will not be classified as unemployed. And because of this, you won't get access to job seekers allowance. And you also may not get access to the additional help that would ordinarily come from having a job seekers allowance status. So in effect, you're left to try your chances at being able to access universal credit, which during one day last week, when I made a test call to the hotline, had a waiting list of 78,000 people. So just imagine how long you would have to wait just to speak to a human. Another question that was asked had to do with holiday pay. There are lots of workers who find themselves furloughed and now not in a position to take their holidays due to the lockdown. And workers are worried about what will happen to their new holiday entitlement, a lot of which will start on Monday, the 6th of April. And they're also concerned about what will happen to portions of any unused holiday from the previous period of leave. And that's particularly the case if you have a leave year that runs from April to March of the following year. Well, the good news is that the government have given a steer on this, announcing that even though you're on lockdown and working from home, you can still take your holidays as normal 
And indeed, you're being encouraged to still take your holidays, to give yourself a break from homeworking with all the stresses that you get from being in that position. But that said, there is recognition that you might not feel like taking your holidays so you can go on holiday from the bathroom to the kitchen. That might not seem like a holiday to some people. So there is a recognition that you might not be able to take your holidays either because you can't take leave because of pressure of work or because you're too sick to take leave or because you don't want to take the leave or because you've cancelled your plans because you can't leave the country or because you don't have the opportunity to take leave because you've been furloughed. The government have now introduced temporary employment law that allows you to be able to carry over up to four weeks of your paid holiday over a two-year period. This will mean that you'll have up to two years to use up holidays that you've been unable to take because of the impact of the coronavirus. Government have also said that if you leave your job or you're dismissed during that two-year period, your employer will still have to pay you for any unused holidays that you haven't been able to take. And the final question that I want to address is the issue of homeworking and how to manage that particular change. Last week, I said that there were up to 6 million workers who were working from home. Well, that number has almost trebled. And workers are either working from home or they're furloughed at home. But if you're working from home, the first thing your employer should be clear about is how your employer will maintain communication with you. This is important because if you're working from home, there is an expectation that you will produce something that's akin to what you would have produced had you been in your workplace. And for you to know what the expectation is from your employer, then your employer has to maintain good communication with you so that you know exactly what is expected of you. There's been a lot of talk about using technology to try to recreate workplace meetings and catch-ups. And there is a lot of benefit to doing this and doing this regularly so that you as a worker working from home have regular opportunities to speak about how work is going and the opportunity to also raise any concerns you may have. Now, there are bound to be differences and difficulties with productivity because when you transfer your work from the office to home, you don't have as many opportunities to raise your concerns. So sorting out these lines of communication at the earliest opportunity will be good for morale, particularly when you're also confined to home whilst you're working from home. Now, whilst you're working from home, your employer should also be encouraging you to take regular breaks as if you were at work. Because your employer still has to communicate to you that your health and safety rights are still in play. And your employer has a duty 
and a responsibility to make sure your home working environment is also safe. Now, some of that safety might come up in particular equipment that you might need to make your homeworking duties a little bit more workable. And your employer can't ignore this. And whilst every problem at home might not be easy to solve, because not everybody's home is the same, not everybody has the same available space at home, it doesn't excuse your employer from regularly checking on your health and safety and, where possible, providing the necessary risk assessments and access to equipment to be sure that you're able to do your job as safely as possible at home. For example, one of the key assessments that may need to take place is a workstation assessment. Now, usually, if your homeworking is temporary, then this isn't required. However, if temporary begins to look a little bit longer than everyone expected, this might be something your employer may have to look at, particularly if your health becomes affected because you don't have the right equipment to perform your work at home. A key thing to remember when you're working at home is that you still have to report your illnesses when you're not fit for work in a similar way to when you're reporting if you were based in the office. And you have to do the same for leave also. If there is a system for reporting your request to take leave when you're based in the office or in the workplace, then that system is still in play when you're at home. And you have to use it and report in in the same way, depending on the lines of communication that your employer has set up for you so you can do this. And it is up to your employer to set these lines of communication up and to also support you to use them so that you're able to follow everything that your employer expects of you. And that's it. Short and to the point. This is week three of our reporting on this stuff. And we will be here for as long as you're here dealing with this stuff. It's a little bit difficult to get back onto ordinary employment rights issues when the enormity of the coronavirus is still in our midst. So until next week, do everything you can to stay home and stay safe. Bye for now.